0: Imagine a world in which PTSD no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people is so true.
1: I just didn't feel like I wanted to open up to anybody or tell them what I was going through.
0: Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission. And I said, I
2: don't
1: want to, I can't, I don't want to live this trauma
0: again, because you don't have to. And I said,
1: what? The hospital I went to and the experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD.
0: Each week we tell a skeptical world what is possible, with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma.
1: I wanted so desperately to be a good mother and get my life back, so I found Life After PTSD and I started driving and listen. I called my boyfriend and said, hello, I've got something you need to listen to.
0: This is Life After PTSD. Well, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Life After PTSD. My name is Jeff McLaughlin, hosting as always, and uh, my buddy Alan Canerva, live in the studio, not in Canada, live.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, we, Jeff. We have,
0: we have the world's first teleportation device outside of Star Trek that brings you in anytime I need you. do,
1: do, do, do,
0: do. I, I didn't bring you to be on the show. I brought you in to get me a drink. Can you make that happen, buddy? No. We have a guest today on Life After PTSD, as we kind of do, as always. Super cool. We just met Max Elhamad. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. Good. Hey, welcome, man. To the, uh, welcome to the, the makeshift studio here in South Florida. So tell us about you, man. You've just finished a master's degree. In, in mental health. And, yeah, conditions. awesome. Cool. And so the reason we pulled you into this thing, because I love, I mean, we tell stories on this show, and so often our stories have a... Uh, I would say have a Western feel. I'm going to say Western in that we've had Europe connections now with Monica Story Allen from Norway, uh, obviously U.S. and Canada and everything, but you are preparing to go do work in the Middle East, in Jordan. That's correct. Crazy. So just tell me, for starters, how did that get on your radar? What's the backstory there? What's the genesis of this? So
2: last semester, I met a young lady who was in the Divinity program, and uh, she educated me and told me about the work that they do overseas on a yearly basis with special needs kids. Cool. Um, because our counseling program is now growing, um, I had made a recommendation to our uh, clinical director if we could possibly go overseas with them and maybe see what kind of programs are in place with, uh, with the culture and the people over there. The Middle Eastern culture is, has a big stigma when it comes to mental health. You know, it's um, a lot of it's very cultural. You know, uh, there's limited understanding because there's limited education. Um, there is a big need for it. So when I approached her with it, she thought it was an amazing idea, and she had asked if I would be okay to just go down this time to do a needs assessment to see exactly uh, what's going on with the schools over there, um, what's going on with nonprofits. Uh, possibly, you know, going into programs that uh, deal with refugees from refugee camps. So we're going to go down for about a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and we're going to see what programs are in place and we're going to see, we're, we want to go down to understand the culture over there. We want to go down to see what kind of programs are in place.
1: And Max, you're uh, the person you're traveling with. What's her area of specialty?
2: So she is um, a doctor in psychology yes. and she's also a traumatologist, So this is her area of expertise. She has uh, experience going overseas a few times already. This is going to be her first time going
0: into the Middle East.
1: So your focus when you're there is dealing with trauma as you do this baseline. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: So, hey, tell me if you could, uh, I would love to talk about just the culture. You know that now I think you were born and raised in the United States, right? Correct. in but, Texas. But family is, is Middle Eastern. Absolutely. Right? Uh, Jordanian or something else? Palestinian. Palestinian. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. So, so you're from, your family's got those connections there. You, you have an insight and a window, uh, you know, into that world and the resistance to treatment and therapy. Talk about that. Like what would, uh, how would you, you know, in, a, in an elevator pitch, how would you share that with the Western world? you know, people who are mainly listening in our audience, the United States, Canada, UK, or whatever, uh, why the resistance to the therapy? What's what's kind of like the stigma or the story over there in the Middle East? One
2: thing I found in common with Western and Eastern uh, processes is that when it comes to struggling with mental health or substance abuse, uh, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment, right? A lot of families, you know, doesn't matter what culture you come from, a lot of families don't like the um, the vision of their kids or their family members struggling with such a thing because they have a family name to maintain yeah, in a sense. Absolutely, Right. So if somebody were to say that, Oh, this individual is going to counsel uh, because they have some sort of mental illness. The first reaction to somebody who's not educated about the process is that, Oh, that person is crazy. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Real, real, real stigma.
2: Right. And that stigma is utilized, you know, all across the board. With all cultures yeah. and everything, yeah. the advantage that we have here is that it's um, now becoming more recognized, and there are more
0: programs that educate us about it. Now, now, yeah. So we're we're kind of ahead of the curve now, but it wasn't always that way here either, which is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Ge- mm-hmm. Jeff,
1: I I hear in Orlando, if you're not in therapy, you're not performing well. <laughs> is <laughs> I, that true?
0: I I, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we look, we talk here and acknowledge that. You know, we're not trying to push people into diagnoses or anything like that, but most people are carrying stuff, and uh, and and it's a beautiful thing to get cleared and to to return to your productivity and your full ability. I guess. But uh, tell me about this real quick. I mean, Max, as I think about like the Middle East, you know, if there was a place in the world, given all the events that have happened, I mean, throughout the history, but certainly in recent history, I, I, that is a place that would be another face of PTSD. And in fact, uh, let me back that up for you we have talked many times on the show about the many faces of PTSD. And so some of the examples, you know, some of the stories that we've told before have been, you know, ranging from sexual abuse to military uh, birth trauma, bullying, sports injuries, you know, refugees, right. Uh, War torn civilization societies uh, over there are rampant. I mean, that's kind of everywhere, Um, which is all the more amazing to me because from a Western perspective, we would kind of go, yeah, things are relatively safe in most of our communities here. And I think, you know, from the outsider's perspective, a lot of people in the, the Middle East probably live with families who are carrying long-term trauma because of things that have happened in the various countries. I mean, the political uh, instability and all of that. So talk to me, if you would, about if that's, it, I mean, do you agree that that would be another face of PTSD, that like a war-torn civilization or a, or a destabilized region, would, would you label that as a, as a region that's largely carrying a lot of trauma and PTSD? Absolutely. I mean, when yeah. you
2: think about a lot of the wars that have gone on in just in the past 10 years, yeah. you know, with Syria and Iraq, uh, even Afghanistan, you know, a lot, yeah. of the, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these civilians, they've lost their homes. They've lost a lot of their family members. They've had to be, re- um, you know, replaced,
0: uh, you know, going from one area to the next. Yeah, they repatriated, I think, right? Or something like that. Is that the word? No. No, Mm-mm. that's not the word. What no. is the word? you
1: well, there's two fundamental issues here. Yeah. We we use the word refugee loosely. Uh, my okay. background is in the field of human security, and there there's two groups of people who get displaced. One are called IDPs; they're internally displaced people. Yeah, they get kicked out of one town, but they're still within their country. The second one is refugees who who actually get moved beyond their political borders, right? So those are two separate groups, and they're treated totally differently. And and the, the uh, they have a right of refoulement, the right to return to their home. Under UN Charter. Got it. And the refugees, when they get into a refugee camp, by, by design, by decree, if you go into Northern Uganda, some of the refugee camps are 20 years old. Refugee IDP camps, they're supposed to be temporary. And, and by legislation, by design, they're not allowed to create economics, education, or medical systems within a refugee camp, except as provided as emergency services. And yet, how do you have three... So it's gen- a holding ground where time it's stops, just, essentially, right? It's just supposed to be holding. So if wow. you go to the refugee camps in Palestine, if you go to the refugee camps in Kenya, yeah. if you go to the refugee camps in Uganda, they've been there for 10, 20 years. Wow. 10 or 20 years in in northern uganda i I hung out with a 17 year old in an idp camp interested he was building a hut and i wanted to know why he'd been there 17 years he came when he was a young boy and when i asked one of the elders what he was doing i thought he was building his first uh, bachelor pad and and no he, he had a young woman who was bearing his child and he was building his first house so imagine that his parents were in the refugee camp idp camp he was in the IDP camp, and now the third generation was going to be in the IDP camp. And the trauma of losing your home, they were running from Joseph Kony's a large resistance army. Lose your home, be displaced, lose lose your right to education, economics, hospitalization. Three generations later, what, what are his beliefs and values about who he is in the world? And and certainly in from the Palestinian context, you know, when you talk to Palestinians in Jordan about Palestinians from Gaza or Amala or Janine, there's a cultural shift, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or Palestinians who now live in, uh, say, say the, the Arab Emirates mm-hmm. and who are working because Palestinians are known globally in, the, in uh, humanitarian work as some of the best logisticians in the field of getting things done create, creating pathways to get supplies. And yet in their own home communities, they're suffering so much. And then, and then there's the intergenerational part, right? The 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 trauma that's passed down through generations. Yeah. Profound. It has a profound effect on on. And, and I I applaud you that the Palestinian people would would be probably one of the greatest populations to look at for the effect of trauma.
2: Yeah, and the sad part is that when somebody's born into this, you know, they're born into the struggles of what their families have witnessed. How do you expect them to become the better part of themselves? You know, how could you blame somebody for believing something that's um, maybe irrational or extreme uh, when this is what they were born into? Absolutely. You know, and, and it's just like, you know, a double-sided sword, you know, who's bad and who's good. Um, the whole the whole approach to this is, you know, we want to go down there and we want to do a needs assessment. And, you know, there's so many orphanages over there. Uh, that carries so much children who have witnessed a lot of these traumatic experiences. Yep, yep. You know, when, they, when they've lost their families or they don't have anybody else, you know, they get triggered when they hear planes or when they hear cars or when they smell gas. You know, and this is a very vulnerable population. You know, if they have somebody who shows them attention, of course they're going to go to them. You know, what we don't want is the wrong person to show them the attention. That's
1: actually what ISIS did for a while, right? ISIS Mm -hmm. would come into community, create medical systems and education systems and food uh, distribution systems to fill the needs of those Mm -hmm. people in need.
0: Because there's a great vulnerability when you're essentially a victim of these kinds of things, right? And so I'm I'm sure you find camaraderie and brotherhood and I could totally see that happening when that's taken advantage of. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So you guys are, I mean, you're really trying to get to the root of this, getting deep down, huh? I
2: I want to get to the root of showing them love. Yeah, You know, I think love is just the most beautiful thing, the, the strongest thing anybody could ever have. Yeah, You know, and if you take that out of the equation, then, you know, everything's up for interpretation. Yeah. Anybody is up to do whatever it is that they're educated to do. Yeah. You know, if you just go in and you get to the core of the issue and see exactly what's going on, you know, and you can show them that there is such thing as love. You know, you have, you're dealing with kids who don't have a motherly or fatherly love. So what ends up happening to them?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you and I know from your studies that that imprinting phase from zero to seven, and these children are born into these situations where there is an absence of love, an absolute absence of love. And in fact, a lot of times, my experience when I was in the Middle East in 1990 as part of the uh, multinational force during the first intifada and after that, it, is that children were with their mothers and their aunts um, and their fathers and their uncles and their grandfathers had been killed in the struggles, right? And they're 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 learning on their mother's lap about the tragedy, and that's being Im- embedded in them. And, and while they have the love of their mother, they're also learning pain at a level that we just don't learn in, in, in this culture. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, often they yeah. have to, in order to experience love, if you have trauma that's running in your the back of your mind or in your subconscious constantly, you can't experience that full love that you're talking about. So that's why this is so important to for you to be able to take that down there and yeah. clear that trauma.
0: Max, tell me this for, for an outsider to this problem. You know, unfortunately we have the, I think the news gets in the way of everything. And I'm talking about on both sides of the political aisle from actually hearing and seeing the reality of what's going on there. I think one of the things that's helped me just as a person in general and working with, with Alan and Carrie and, and these guys is, is starting to understand how separate a, a person and their behavior actually is, right? That those are two very, very separate things.
1: We like to say, Max, that we accept the person and we reject the behavior, right? We work on the behavior, we accept the person. And you know, in the Middle East that there's the rejection of the person, the, the hate builds when they're young and and, and you and I were having a sidebar conversation earlier today, and you said, yeah, I'd like to help these young people overcome their trauma so they don't you know, build these thoughts and, and, and increase the amount of hate yeah. in the yeah. world. And I thought mm-hmm. that was so profound. And what I heard you just say now, on the other side, the opposite side of the projection of hate, it's a projection of love
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the benefit of that. Yes. That connection between clearing trauma and and connecting to love that that is uh, we don't talk about that openly. Yeah,
0: you got to replace that habit, don't you? Right, you uh, have that, to fill the void. Yeah, man, yeah. you have
1: to fill. You heard it. You heard it. You watching the demo this morning with Scott. Yes, he could tell me where he wasn't. I'm not as anxious. I'm not as this. And I kept asking him, "Well, if you're not anxious, what are you? What are you? Correct. Yeah, to get his focus to change. while well, I'm calm. And so what you said to me outside was, "Yeah, to." to uh, to stop the growth of hatred. But what you just said here on the podcast was to reconnect to love. That's that beautiful switch from moving away from hatred to moving towards love. That's profound.
0: So it leads to a question for me. What would you say for, for those who don't understand your work at this point, you know what you're walking into. I mean, maybe not fully, obviously, you got to get on the ground, but you know, what would you want supporters, listeners or whatever to, to know as it relates to that message? What do you want them to know and what you want, what would you want them to be thinking right now about the people of the middle east that you're going to be working with specifically the the refugees and, and even the children and everything what what do we need to know you know about that about their character about their potential that you've come to believe
2: so i think that uh when an individual hears what's going on on the outside some of them don't accept what's going on on the outside because they're still struggling what's going on with themselves on the inside good word right so it's it's very difficult for somebody to understand something outside of their own realm right i believe that every citizen in our country to at least travel once internationally just to understand what's going on outside of our realm agreed right there's so many struggles and challenges that we deal with here that we're not given the opportunity and we have so many limitations on how we understand what's going on
1: out
0: there yeah yeah you know yeah, so I, I mean what was the first time you did that so you were you were born and raised in dallas right okay yes. so what was what was like the first trip for you that like kind of opened your eyes did you take that young in life or kind of where were you So I went uh, to the Middle
2: East. The first time I went there was 10 years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I never grew up going over there. Uh, The first time I went was 10 years ago, and it was a big culture shock for me. Where did you go? Uh, The first place I went was to Jordan. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then I actually went into Israel and through Palestine. And it was a big culture shock because... Massive
1: transitions from Jordan... (laughs) <laughs> into Israel, into Palestine.
2: Right. Yeah. And it was a big um, it was a big culture shock because every country has its own way of doing things, you know. And the people, uh, some of them were amazing. Some of them struggled with a lot of things, you know, just like we do in our country. Sure. Uh, but the culture shock was that, you know, when they look at us, sometimes they look at us as the enemy. And when I say us, I'm still an American when I go down there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a Middle Eastern. Yeah. You know, they can... They can look at me and say, you're an American. And I'm like, well, yes, I'm an American, but I'm also Arab. But they're like, there's a difference. You know, you're not an actual Middle Eastern. You're an Arab American. And that was um, that was really big for me because I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I always felt like, you know, we were all one unity, regardless of whether I was here or I was over there. But there was a very big Uh, difference between an individual that's born and raised here going over there and somebody who's actually born into that society over there coming over here. So that's a humbling moment for you, it literally. Was, it, was, it was a very <laughs> confusing moment for me. Yeah, interesting. How old were you when you did that trip? Interesting. I was um, 25,
1: 26. Yeah, what a great time to experience that though, right?
2: Yeah, it was it was amazing. The food was awesome.
0: You know? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It's always yeah. about the food, man. Yeah, it's always I, about I get the it. food. I get it, man. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> just, get it.
1: I just love the culture of Amon Jordan though, yes. right? I haven't been there since 2004, uh, but the culture in Amman, Jordan, is just so much fun. Yes. And Tel Aviv's so much fun mm-hmm. in contrast to the suffering that are around the two.
2: Well, you know what's, what was amazing to me and what was the biggest shock in my trip is that uh, I actually ventured out by myself to Jerusalem, okay, to visit the Holy City. And what I found was everything that I saw on TV from that point before was totally false.
1: Okay, I need to jump in here. I need to jump in. (laughs) Oh, you triggered Alan. (laughs) Max, you and I have to talk. 1990, my buddy and I leave Sinai, where we were serving, and we go into the old city of Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. into the markets. And it's the beginning of the Intifada. And there's an uprising, Palestinian uprising, peaceful.
0: Mm Mm-hmm
1: you know, and
0: peaceful. And we're in the middle of it. Wait, hang on. Define peaceful just for clarity. I'm yeah. not challenging that. I just want to know. No,
1: peaceful uprising doesn't sound like it goes together. I agree. Well, well you know, it, it, I, I, it, just for
0: perspective, what does it mean to you? to
1: Protesting yeah. without weapons, okay. without violence. Yeah. Just, you know, thousands of people in the, in the old market. And you know how sure. small the old market is. So mm-hmm. with throngs of people swollen into the old market. Cool. Okay. And uh, without weapons, without violence, just uh, expressing their angst verbally. And my buddy John and I were in there, and I, I get very dark when I'm in the Middle East, so my Palestinian buddies would tease me if it wasn't for the blue eyes, I'd be one of them. Mm-hmm. And so, and dark hair. Yeah, I well, mean, my, he doesn't look Arab to you? Yeah. Some, uh, somewhat. Somewhat, yeah. <laughs> he's a cousin. He's a cousin. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence, Alexander the Great. There right, you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Blue-eyed. But well, my buddy John, who was with me, is like 6'4", blonde, standing out, fair skin, right? So he's a hedge taller than all of us in there. <laughs> but what, what was profound is... The, the Israeli uh, Defense Force came, and we were in the crowds with the weapons pointed at us. And it was the first time that I'd had that happen to me. Normally, we'd be on a hotel balcony looking down or something, but I was in the, the throng that had the weapons pointed at us. And I said to John, you know, so, sort of like Mel Gibson in uh, Lethal Weapon, I said, we need to zen ourselves out of here now, <laughs> right? We need to get out. They have cameras. We need to We need to bug out. So we bugged out. We bugged out all the way back to the Sinai Peninsula and that uh, to the Sinai, to our camp. And that night I was watching the TV feed. And we were on an American run base. So we're getting TV feed from America, the big channels, ABC, Mm -hmm. CBS, NBC. And they were reporting on that event. And all the channels reported the same and they all reported it wrong. Mm -hmm. And in 1990, I had the same reaction that you just expressed there. It shook me to the core yes that what the messages that were going into my head and forming my beliefs and values some of them were so transmogrified from the facts on the ground yes and it just shook me and that began my journey to to challenging almost everything in my life i had a
2: very similar situation happen to me every village that we went to you know there was a blockade um but you know with every good there was a bad and like i said when i went into jerusalem one thing that I found so fascinating was that the people, you know, the actual citizens, you know, the Israelis and the Arabs, you know, the Muslims, the Arabs and, and the Christian Arabs, you know, they all really sat down together and they all had lunch and their kids were playing with each other. It's, you know, and that's that's the love right there. You know, that's
0: what. That's what we don't see on no. TV. It's because you know? the world doesn't want it. That doesn't sell. Right. It, right. And, and, you Unf- know. Love doesn't sell, unfortunately. I mean, you know, twisted forms of it sell, but not that kind of
2: love, does right. it? Right, you know? right. So it's, you know, it's it was, a, it was a lot for me to take in because, you know, here you are growing up and you're hearing all this craziness that's yeah. going on. And I have friends of mine who tell me they would love to go overseas and visit, but they're scared. You know, and I tell them, what are you scared of? And they're like, because of what we've seen. I said, what you see and what you're going to feel is going to be two different things. You just have to, you know, go in with your eyes closed,
0: and you'll see exactly what you're going to get out of it. How how would you advise someone who, you know, a trip like that is not on the horizon? Like, what if you could give? Let's go back to that elevator pitch idea. If you could elevator pitch someone in sixty seconds about what's really going on over there, what would what would you say to correct a perspective? This is a person that's watched CNN, Fox News, whatever, and that's you know they've gotten. They've gotten the, uh, the the news version of what's going on. How do you, how would you undo that in in sixty seconds or so? If you're willing to grow, what do you have to lose? Nailed that in three seconds. That's not bad, man. That's a mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a great show. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not
1: often do we get Jeff
0: speechless. Uh, Bam,
1: Max, you win.
0: I was like, man, I, I felt like I was encroaching on his time, just limited into sixty. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of well. And I think you kind of already did it anyway when you were just talking about the families. The kids are playing together, eating together. They're just you know, in relationship with each other, their neighbors. Right. Essentially. Right. You know, in fact, the way you describe that, you know, when you think about suburb- sub- suburban, suburban um, America, they're probably doing that more than what's happening in most of these gated communities. Absolutely. Where people, you know, literally go through the gate, go into a garage, close the garage, get up next morning to do it again. They don't talk to anybody. Right. Absolutely. You yeah. Know, it's just crazy how that works. Yeah. Um, you,
1: you know, yeah. when I was in Israel, Um, We we traveled quite a bit. Hey, Life After PTSD listeners. We're glad that you love other stories of healing. But what about you? First Orlando Counseling is the premier trauma therapy center in Central Florida, with a full staff of trained clinicians ready to help you clear your trauma without re-traumatization. Childhood abuse, relationship abuse, a traumatic car accident, birth trauma, first responder or military trauma, even phobias. You don't have to live like this. It's time for you to heal. Schedule a consultation today by visiting Counseling.com or call 407-514-4470. It's that easy.
0: Daily stress is difficult to avoid, but you can better cope with it thanks to the unique natural frequency technology within all Philip Stein watches. Recent clinical studies have shown that wearing it regularly can significantly improve cognitive functions, mood, and perceived stress. Philip Stein natural frequency technology visit philipstein.com and use promo code ptsd10 that's philipstein.com promo code ptsd10 in israel
1: in 1990 and what i was struck by was i would meet people and they they looked out of place they were, they were Jewish, but they looked out of place compared to the background Israelis. So I would talk to them. I'm curious. I've always been curious. Hey, why are you here? What are you doing? And, and a couple times I met them doing things like painting docks or working around establishments. And they were um, Jewish American people who would go to the Holy Land and they would work for three to four months. And there was hundreds and thousands of them doing it every year. So there was this connection, and you'll see it. I've got friends from Miami who go back to Israel every year for a month and, and literally give up a month of their time and support uh, the nation of Israel. And it's interesting. I didn't get that same experience on the Palestinian side. So maybe you you could speak to that, Max. If, if you think, if because of your background, is that happening in your community as you know it.
2: You know, when when an individual um, goes over there, it's very difficult to actually cross the borders when you get into the airport or when you're crossing the the mountains um, through Jordan. Uh, There's always interrogation. There's always uh, limitations. Some people have to actually go back. uh, And that really discourages an individual to even want to travel to their motherland, you know. It's just at the same time, you know, when... You have an opportunity to go. It's all about you know how far are you willing to to you know to move or push.
0: Yeah. Um, Get outside your comfort zone, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. for a
2: lot of people, they don't know how to not be in their comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. and I don't wanna I don't wanna you know I don't wanna take away even from the Israelis, you know they also. You know, are traumatized by a lot of the things that are Absolutely. going on. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. You know, I mean, me going over there is just the first step just to see how everything works out and, and to see what exactly we could do to bring over there. You know, but this is going to be a universal thing for the Middle East as yeah. a total. And yeah. that's including with Israel as well, yeah. because yeah. they're still our neighboring country. Yeah. I'm teaching you know? a
1: course in Canada, and one of the, uh, the psychotherapists who's intendi- attending the Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories course in Canada. Is in Israel right now, and uh, and he was he texted me said I, you know I've signed up for the course and can we translate it so here I know I know of a, a parallel universe to you where there's another guy in Israel doing mm-hmm. the same thing so you're absolutely right yeah you let's know, get them linked a, up maybe yeah, they can like,
0: start on one side and the other and meet in the middle right absolutely you know, come on, man. and and my you friend
1: I one of my friends from uh, Miami that's what she does she has a she's an NLP trainer like myself and she goes uh, she's an NLP master practitioner actually and she goes to Israel for several months a year and works with people there. She has a practice there as well. So that crossing back and forth is so important. And then crossing uh, ethnic boundaries is so important.
2: Sure. And uh, even when we go to Jordan, I mean, we're also dealing with Syrians and Iraqis, which absolutely. is that, you know, even though they're Middle Eastern countries, they still have different cultural belief systems as well. Sure. You know, they're, they they basically were kicked out of their homes. Yes. And now they're in an unfamiliar territory where they still feel like they're unwanted. You know they're still being discriminated against, so it's. it's you talk a, to a
1: Syrian in in, in uh, Lebanon, and know. and to feel unwanted, right? Right. I, I'm just Arab a, brothers, but no.
0: Yeah, right. I, I don't want to get into a history lesson here, but I I, I think you know. People, yes, you do. Well, I I do just briefly. I just want to I want to tease this for folks because it was such a, an eye opening experience for me just studying like even the early to mid 1900s and what was happening there with the essentially the british empire and mm-hmm. things that were being set up i mean i don't think people fully understand you know i think a lot of outsiders with a, with a very ignorant perspective look at the middle east and go well these just it's it's like a bunch of savages running around who don't know how to live and i'm going it's far more complex than that and and our hands are not clean of this at all mm-hmm. you know even if it was generations ago that was going on we're still perpetuating things you know that started Hundred years ago, whatever, and more. And one of the great, I think, one of the great um, elements of the work that you're doing there, even though it's it's a grassroots effort, and believe me, on this side of the table, we know a thing or two about grassroots efforts. You know, it's a grassroots effort. But imagine what could happen if you if if you were a part of healing the Middle East. You know, we often talk about doing that politically. I think that that's been the focus for so long. Is well, how do we heal the region politically? You know, what you got to heal it personally too. And there's so much that has to happen that's so embedded into the generations. And we, we better be a part of that here in the West because we've, I think we've caused so much of that as well. Would you agree with that statement or what do you think? Well, in order to heal, you got to start with one person at a time, you know, and that's our approach.
2: Absolutely. You know, and trauma, trauma goes back to, you know, either end, whether it's the West or the East, because people in the West are traumatized by some of the things that have happened to the troops you know, to their family members Agreed. when they were over there, Agreed. Yeah. you know, our veterans that come back home, you know, they've been traumatized and their families get traumatized because of the stories that they hear of what happened over there yeah. because of them, you know, going against extremists who have nothing to do with the fundamentals of the religion or the culture. Yeah. They just, it's just created out of, out of hate, yeah. you know, um, and out of, um, selfish reasons, you know, so it's, you're going it's a complicated mess. Isn't you're <laughs> going back and forth yeah. with traumatic experiences yeah. on all ends, and it's all based on
1: belief. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's easy, it, It's interesting to me to understand that when we point to the other and blame them for that extremist thing, and I often I often ask people who point to Muslim people as being bad or Islamic people as being bad, not Islamist, mm-hmm. and I say, well, what about Timothy McVeigh? Mm. Who did the Oklahoma bombings? Yeah. Did did we go carpet bomb Oregon where he was from, huh. and all his family and all his relatives? Last time I looked, he was white, yeah. pretty, pretty vanilla, pretty from Oregon. Yep. And we don't say everybody from Oregon's a terrorist, do we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, one of the greatest atrocities on American soil was what Timothy McVeigh did. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So you absolutely.
1: know, and, and I only bring that up yeah. as as a juxtaposition yeah. to loosen the model of the yeah. world. Yeah. There is anger and hate everywhere, and the, and what really uh, again I double all the way back to that first statement you made about love, right? About love, and and it's in every religion too, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? The concept of love and the power of love,
0: yeah, absolutely, power of healing. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's switch gears for a second as we kind of close. So you came today uh, as a friend of uh, jo- well, Joycey is yes. kind of we love Joycey. You know, Joycey was trained in, in uh, January. Hey, Joycey. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And has done a show with us before. It's been several episodes, but uh, she's a home run down here. She invites you to come out to, to witness demonstration of RTM. Did you know anything coming into this? Give me some thoughts, some reactions, the before thought, the now you've seen some things. What are you what are you thinking now? So on my way driving here, I was
2: trying to YouTube it so I can hear something about it, you know, as I'm coming down. And to be honest with you, I'm in the middle of it. I'm like, you know, this is just not doing any justice for me right now. (laughs) I'm just not, I'm just going to stop listening because I I couldn't fully grasp what it was all about. And I'm like, I'm just going to go in, sit down, stay quiet and just observe.
1: That's a beautiful skill, by the way, that'll serve you so well on this trip coming up. Yeah.
0: It was a learned behavior. Yeah. Yeah, It's brilliant. That's, That's what, that's what they taught us in school. So, All right. Are you trying to like sing music to Alan here? Because like you're saying, every, you're just you're hitting the the notes here with him, man. He's in his element. Well, Look at him. I, I I just bought a ticket listen, to Palestine with uh, him. Right?
1: I'm going I to mean, Jordan with I, him.
2: I have to give credit to my my school. I have to give credit to my professors who educated us for the past two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. These are learned skills that they you know um, taught us, and they said you know this will serve you well. You know, and they did a great job um,
0: assisting us in that area. So cool. cool. So what do you think? You've seen a you've seen a demonstration. You're starting to get your head around this a little bit. Is this something that would uh, would help you in the Middle East? What do you think about that?
1: Let me jump in before you answer that, Max. You saw a demo. You saw a demo unscheduled. We don't normally do a demo on day four, and uh, somebody said, you know, we know this student. So that's a, the youngest demo that we've ever done as well. Um, he was 15 at the time of his trauma. He's 16 now. And uh, you, you saw as challenging a demo, a challenging as a client, not just demos, clients as I've ever worked with. But, but what you saw was a protocol that's so robust that, you know, I jokingly say you, you rinse and repeat. So when I didn't get the result on the first pass, I was unfazed by it. I just had to say, okay, what, what didn't happen? And what do I want to have happen and go back at it? Right. Until we got the desired result. Again, it's the protocol is three 90 minute sessions. We did one 90 minute session in front of a crowd. Right. And so I'm really interested to see where young Scott is two more sessions from now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: um, going to this, not knowing what it was all about. uh, The session that I witnessed was a very intense for me because I got right into it. I was sucked in. I wanted to observe body language. I wanted to observe what was said, how it was done, yeah. both by the facilitator and the person receiving it. Um, and, you know, moving forward, it's going to be interesting uh, knowing that, you know, when I go over there and when we go through this needs assessment, you know, what can we do over there? And and just by witnessing the limitations, the limited things that I've seen today, um, I think that, you know, I think that we're going to be doing great work in the future uh, when it involves this kind of model, because I can totally see, I can totally see this technique utilized with those who are suffering from trauma over there. There's no difference between what happened in the shooting in Parkland versus what's the shootings that are going on in those towns over there. Darn right, man. And when, darn
1: right. And when you're doing your your research, Max, I would encourage you. When I was in uh, Kenya in 2008 to 2010, my wife and I came back knowing that humanitarian workers, people like you who go to the field, often come back not right. That they've seen and they've witnessed and they've experienced stuff that just isn't right. And they, they have no resources. A humanitarian worker who's working for any of the NGOs comes back to North America. They have no support network. So as you go to these refugee camps and if you as you do this baseline work you're doing, I would really encourage you to survey the humanitarian workers who are doing the work mm-hmm. and test their trauma levels because they have no resources. And we don't talk about the humanitarian workers who take their lives or who just disappear, you know, just fall off the face of the earth, literally, and who sit at home struggling. And, and you know, for, for me, you know, I, w- I was a military person. I signed up. I knew what I was signing up for, right? And I got paid to do it. Humanitarian workers don't get paid to do it mostly. Some of them do, they're careers. And when they come home, they're out doing some of the best work on the planet, you know, presupposing that the humanitarian work they're doing is well intended. And they come home often broken and with no support network. So when you're out there, if you could take a look at those guys too, boy, I think there's a a, a huge thing.
2: Thank you for sharing that with yeah. me. I never really thought about that, but you know, I'm going to actually look into that as well because If they're not doing well, how can they expect
0: those who they're reaching out to to do well?
1: Exactly.
0: Guys, I I think that's, we need to put a wrap on that and just leave it there. That's brilliant, Um, brilliant piece. And Max, we appreciate the work that you're doing. In all sincerity, ending PTSD, ending trauma should not be a right of of the privileged West. Correct. That belongs to the world, right? And uh, it's going to take people like you that are going over there and going to some of these hard places and, you know, looking at the cultures with fresh eyes and being willing to um, to see from the earliest ages to the you know the, the oldest of people over there. I mean, what's what do you had a ninety was it a ninety three year old Korean War vet not long ago that was treated. Did I get yeah. that right? You know, yeah. it's, I mean, can you imagine that? Wow. You know, I mean, how many how many how many of the patriarchs and matriarchs in those societies over there are just as much as the kids in orphanages, you know, would benefit um, from the work that you're doing, man. So good job. And you Max, know. when
1: you, when you travel, trauma, post traumatic stress is an injury. If you just take that framework alone, drop the D. I know your professor of traumatology might have some resistance initially, but just that just that changing of mindset, uh, that anybody who's traumatized is injured, it's their brain's perfect reaction in an abnormal situation. And just like a broken arm or a broken leg, they should have the opportunity to heal properly. And when, when you take that framework that it can be healed, boy, that, that just changes our perspective on the planet.
0: We're so grateful that you listened to the show today. Now imagine a new normal you get to decide with all its possibilities once you are free of PTSD, because that is what is possible. You're here, which means you're ready, but listening alone will not heal you or those you know who are suffering. Join us on the mission to eradicate PTSD by reaching out to lifeafterptsd.org or in Canada, lifeafterptsd.ca, or by sharing this message of hope with someone you know.